Hey everyone, it is I, D.B. Spitzer. Welcome once again to Black Clock Audio Tales, always hosted by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Check out the Wooly Bully Highland Cow Slippers. I know they're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I can't help saying Wooly Bully. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you are all feeling well. Just to let you know, I am going to start just uploading as many of these Oz books as possible, just so people have stuff to listen to. If you have kids and you want them to listen to something that's not going to have a bunch of scary or weird stuff in it, eh, you might want to go elsewhere. No, I'm kidding. Oz, the Oz books generally are pretty children safe. There may be a few spooky parts here and there, but you know what? Everyone gets through it in the end. There's every story has Dorothy with a little animal and some friends, and you know, it's fun stuff. It's it's fun stuff. You know. I've been holding stuff together. I've been baking bread, making pasta, canning stuff, brewing. Um, and then I've been doing stuff that I don't normally do. <laughs> you know, the anxiety and the food stuff. That's I'm always doing that stuff. But lately I have been constructing instruments out of junk. You can check that stuff out on Instagram. I'm currently working on a couple of canjos and a uh, cigar box ukulele. Ukulele, whatever you want to call it. If you are interested in that kind of stuff, or if you want to check out and help the show by, I don't know, going to our Patreon at patreon.pgttcm.com, or however you get to Patreon, I can't remember, uh, you can also go to pgttcm.com, find out how to help our show by buying shirts. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans shirts coming up pretty soon from uh, shirts for or Oleander, Wash uh, Oregon, and shirts for Uncle Owen's Goat Farm coming up in... Los Futuro. Oh man, my Spanish is terrible. But it shouldn't be because I've been watching DuckTales and Troll Movie and all that other fun stuff in Spanish. Um, Libra Soy, Libra Soy. Yes. I hope you're all doing well. I keep saying I hope you're all doing well because I do hope you're all doing well. I can tell that a lot more people are listening. And thank you all for all of our new listeners. You guys are awesome. You ladies, everyone. Um, and anyone in between, I think you're all great. And, you know, I, I, I hope you're coming up with new recipes. I hope you've all watched Tiger King and all that fun stuff. And, you know, everything else that everyone else is talking about. Me, I'm going through old books, working on stuff outside, trying to stay away from TV and just listening to podcasts. Been listening to a lot of Doughboys and Small Town Dicks. Quite the juxtaposition. <laughs> All right, here we go with L. Frank Baum. Said it right this time. Road to Oz. Chapter 16 Visiting the Pumpkin Field. Dorothy let Button Bright wind up the clockwork in the Copper Man this morning. His thinking machine first, then his speech, and finally his action. So he would doubtless run perfectly until they had reached the Emerald City. The Copper Man and the Tin Man were good friends, and not so much alike as you might think. For one was alive, and the other moved by means of machinery. One was tall and angular, and the other short and round. You could love the Tin Man, because he had a fine nature, kindly and simple, but the Machine Man you could only admire without loving, since to love such a thing as he was as impossible as to love a sewing machine or an automobile. Yet TikTok was popular with the people of Oz because he was so trustworthy, reliable, and true. 
He was sure to do exactly what he was wound up to do at all times and in all circumstances. Perhaps it is better to be a machine that does its duty than a flesh-and-blood person who will not, for a dead truth is better than a live falsehood. About noon the travelers reached a large field of pumpkins, a vegetable quite appropriate to the yellow country of the Winkies, and some of the pumpkins which grew there were of remarkable size. Just before they entered upon this field they saw three little mounds that looked like graves, with a pretty headstone to each one of them. "'What is this?' asked Dorothy in wonder. "'It's Jack Pumpkinhead's private graveyard,' replied the tin woodman. "'But I thought nobody ever died in Oz,' she said. "'Nor do they, although if one is bad, he may be condemned and killed by the good citizens,' he answered. Dorothy ran over to the little graves and read the words engraved upon the tombstones. The first one said, here lies the mortal part of Jack Pumpkinhead, which spoiled April ninth. She then went to the next stone, which read, Here lies the mortal part of Jack Pumpkinhead, which spoiled October 2nd. On the third stone were carved these words, Here lies the mortal part of Jack Pumpkinhead, which spoiled January 24th. Poor Jack, sighed Dorothy. I'm sorry he had to die in three parts, for I hope to see him again. So you shall, declared the tin woodman, since he is still alive. Come with me to his house, for Jack is now a farmer and lives in this very pumpkin field. They walked over to a monstrous big hollow pumpkin, which had a door and windows cut through the rind. There was a stovepipe running through the stem, and six steps had been built leading up to the front door. They walked up to this door and looked in. Seated on a bench was a man clothed in a spotted shirt, a red vest, and faded blue trousers, whose body was merely sticks of wood jointed clumsily together. On his neck was set a round yellow pumpkin, with a face carved on it such as a boy often carves on a jack-lantern. The queer man was engaged in snapping slippery pumpkin seeds with his wooden fingers, trying to hit a target on the other side of the room with them. He did not know he had visitors until Dorothy exclaimed, "'Why, it's Jack Pumpkinhead himself!' He turned and saw them, and at once came forward to greet the little Kansas girl and Nick Chopper, and to be introduced to their new friends. Button Bright was at first rather shy with the quaint pumpkin head, but Jack's face was so jolly and smiling, being carved that way, that the boy soon grew to like him. "'I thought a while ago that you were buried in three parts,' said Dorothy. But now I see you're just the same as ever. Not quite the same, my dear, for my mouth is a little more one-sided than it used to be, but pretty nearly the same. I've a new head, and this is the fourth one I've owned since Ozma first made me and brought me to life by sprinkling me with a magic powder. What became of the other heads, Jack? They spoiled, and I buried them, for they were not even fit for pies. Each time Ozma has carved me a new head just like the old one, and as my body is by far the largest part of me, 
I am still Jack Pumpkinhead, no matter how often I change my upper end. Once we had a dreadful time to find another pumpkin, as they were out of season, and so I was obliged to wear my old head a little longer than was strictly healthy. But after this sad experience, I resolved to raise pumpkins myself, so as never to be caught again without one handy. And now I have this fine field that you see before you. Some grow pretty big, too big to be used for heads, so I dug out this one and use it for a house. Isn't it damp? asked Dorothy. Not very. There isn't much left but the shell, you see, and it will last a long time yet. I think you are brighter than you used to be, Jack, said the tin woodman. Your last head was a stupid one. The seeds in this one are better, was the reply. Are you going to Ozma's party? asked Dorothy. Yes, said he. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Ozma's my parent, you know, because she built my body and carved my pumpkin head. I'll follow you to Emerald City tomorrow, where we shall meet again. I can't go today because I have to plant fresh pumpkin seeds and water the young vines. But give my love to Ozma and tell her I'll be there in time for the jubilation. We will, she promised, and then they all left him and resumed their journey. End of chapter 16 Hey everyone, thank you for listening to The Road to Oz by L. Frank Baum, or Frank L. Baum. I keep mixing that up. Hey, do you want to help keep things straight? Why don't you go to Facebook or, I don't know, Instagram, Check out PGTTCM and Black Clock Audio Tales. You can also, also, also help out the show by rate, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, there's this annoying guy that has a podcast where there's books read. He doesn't read them. He gets people who can actually uh, read do it. So, yeah, check that out. And, again, I hope you're all doing well. Support the show. That gives you something to listen to. I love you. Chapter 17 The Royal Chariot Arrives The neat yellow houses of the Winkies were now to be seen standing here and there along the roadway, giving the country a more cheerful and civilized look. They were farmhouses, though, and set far apart, for in the land of Oz there were no towns or villages except the magnificent Emerald City in its center. Hedges of evergreen or of yellow roses bordered the broad highway, and the farms showed the care of their industrious inhabitants. The nearer the travelers came to the great city, the more prosperous the country became, and they crossed many bridges over the sparkling streams and rivulets that watered the lands. As they walked leisurely along, the shaggy man said to the tin woodman, "'What sort of magic powder was it that made your friend the Pumpkinhead live?' It was called the Powder of Life, was the answer, and it was invented by a crooked sorcerer who lived in the mountains of the North Country. A witch named Mombi got some of this powder from the crooked sorcerer and took it home with her. Ozma lived with the witch then, for it was before she became our princess, while Mombi had transformed her into the shape of a boy. Well, while Mombi was gone to the crooked sorcerers, the boy made this pumpkin-headed man to amuse himself, and also with the hope of frightening the witch with it when she returned. 
But Mombi was not scared, and she sprinkled the pumpkin head with her magic powder of life to see if the powder would work. Ozma was watching and saw the pumpkin head come to life, so that night she took the pepper box containing the powder and ran away with it and with Jack in search of adventures. Next day they found a wooden sawhorse standing by the roadside and sprinkled it with the powder. It came to life at once, and Jack Pumpkinhead rode the sawhorse to the Emerald City. What became of the sawhorse afterward? asked the shaggy man, much interested in this story. Oh, it's alive yet, and you will probably meet it presently in the Emerald City. Afterward, Ozma used the last of the powder to bring the flying gump to life, but as soon as it had carried her away from her enemies, the gump was taken apart, so it doesn't exist anymore. It's too bad the powder of life was all used up, remarked the shaggy man. It would be a handy thing to have around. I'm not so sure of that, sir, answered the tin woodman. A while ago, the crooked sorcerer who invented the magic powder fell down a precipice and was killed. All his possessions went to a relative, an old woman named Dinah, who lives in the Emerald City. She went to the mountains where the sorcerer had lived and brought away everything she thought of value. Among them was a small bottle of the powder of life, but of course Dinah didn't know it was a magic powder at all. It happened she had once had a big blue bear for a pet, but the bear choked to death on a fishbone one day, and she loved it so dearly that Dinah made a rug of its skin, leaving the head and four paws on the hide. She kept the rug on the floor of her front parlor. I've seen rugs like that, said the shaggy man, nodding, but never one made from a blue bear. Well, continued the tin woodman, the old woman had an idea that the powder in the bottle must be moth powder, because it smelled something like moth powder. So one day she sprinkled it on her bear rug to keep the moths out of it. She said, looking lovingly at her skin, I wish my dear bear were alive again. To her horror, the bear rug at once came to life, having been sprinkled with the magic powder, and now this live bear rug is a great trial to her and makes her a lot of trouble. Why? asked the shaggy man. Well, it stands up on its four feet and walks all around and gets in the way, and that spoils it for a rug. It can't speak, although it is alive. For while his head might say words, it has no breath and a solid body to push the words out of its mouth. It's a very slimpy affair altogether, that bear rug, and the old woman is sorry it came to life. Every day she has to scold it and make it lie down flat on the parlor floor to be walked upon. But sometimes when she goes to market, the rug will hump up its back skin and stand on its four feet and trot along after her. I should think Dinah would like that, said Dorothy. Well, she doesn't, because everyone knows it isn't a real bear, but just a hollow skin, and so of no actual use in the world except for a rug, answered the tin woodman. Therefore, I believe it is a good thing that all the magic powder of life is now used up, as it cannot cause any more trouble. Perhaps you're right, said the shaggy man thoughtfully. 
At noon they stopped at a farmhouse, where it delighted the farmer and his wife to be able to give them a good luncheon. The farm people knew Dorothy, having seen her when she was in the country before, and they treated the little girl with as much respect as they did the emperor, because she was a friend of the powerful Princess Ozma. They had not proceeded far after leaving this farmhouse before coming to a high bridge over a broad river. This river, the Tin Woodman informed them, was the boundary between the country of the Winkies and the territory of the Emerald City. The city itself was still a long way off, but all around it was a green meadow as pretty as a well-kept lawn, and in this were neither houses nor farms to spoil the beauty of the scene. From the top of the high bridge they could see far away the magnificent spires and splendid domes of the superb city, sparkling like brilliant jewels as they towered above the emerald walls. The shaggy man drew a deep breath of awe and amazement, for never had he dreamed that such a grand and beautiful place could exist, even in the fairy land of Oz. Polly was so pleased that her violet eyes sparkled like amethysts, and she danced away from her companions across the bridge and into a group of feathery trees lining both the roadsides. These trees she stopped to look at with pleasure and surprise, for their leaves were shaped like ostrich plumes, their feather edges beautifully curved, and all the plumes were tinted in the same dainty rainbow hues that appeared in Polychrome's own pretty gauze gown. "'Father ought to see these trees,' she murmured. "'They are almost as lovely as his own rainbows.' Then she gave a start of terror, for beneath the trees came stalking two great beasts, either one big enough to crush the little daughter of the rainbow with one blow of his paws, or to eat her up with one snap of his enormous jaws. One was a tawny lion, as tall as a horse nearly, the other a striped tiger, almost the same size. Polly was too frightened to scream or to stir, she stood still, with a wildly beating heart, until Dorothy rushed past her, and with a glad cry threw her arms around the huge lion's neck, hugging and kissing the beast with evident joy. "'Oh, I am so glad to see you again!' cried the little Kansas girl. "'And the hungry tiger, too! How fine you're both looking! Are you well and happy?' "'We certainly are, Dorothy,' answered the lion in a deep voice that sounded pleasant and kind. "'And we are greatly pleased that you have come to Ozma's party. "'It's going to be a grand affair, I promise you.' "'There will be lots of fat babies at the celebration, I hear,' remarked the hungry tiger, "'yawning so that his mouth opened dreadfully wide and showed all his big, sharp teeth.' "'But of course I can't eat any of them.' "'Is your conscience still in good order?' asked Dorothy anxiously. "'Yes, it rules me like a tyrant,' answered the tiger sorrowfully. "'I can imagine nothing more unpleasant than to own a conscience.' And he winked slyly at his friend the lion. "'You're fooling me,' said Dorothy with a laugh. "'I don't believe you'd eat a baby if you lost your conscience. "'Come here, Polly,' she called and be introduced to my friends. Polly advanced rather shyly. 
You have some queer friends, Dorothy, she said. The queerness doesn't matter so long as they're friends, was the answer. This is the cowardly lion, who isn't a coward at all, but just thinks he is. The wizard gave him some courage once, and he has part of it left. The lion bowed with great dignity to Polly. You are very lovely, my dear, said he. I hope we shall be friends when we are better acquainted. And this is the hungry tiger, continued Dorothy. He says he longs to eat fat babies, but the truth is he is never hungry at all, cause he gets plenty to eat, and I don't suppose he'd hurt anybody even if he was hungry. Hushed, Dorothy, whispered the tiger. You'll ruin my reputation if you are not more discreet. It isn't what we are, but what folks think we are that counts in this world. And come to think of it, Miss Polly would make a fine variegated breakfast, I'm sure. End of chapter 17、Chapter、18, The Emerald City The others now came up, and the tin woodman greeted the lion and the tiger cordially. Button Bright yelled for fear when Dorothy first took his hand and led him toward the great beasts, but the girl insisted they were kind and good, and so the boy mustered up his courage enough to pat their heads. After they had spoken to him gently, and he had looked into their intelligent eyes, his fear vanished entirely. And he was so delighted with the animals that he wanted to keep close to them and stroke their soft fur every minute. As for the shaggy man, he might have been afraid if he had met the beasts alone or in any other country. But so many were the marvels in the land of Oz that he was no longer easily surprised, and Dorothy's friendship for the lion and tiger was enough to assure him they were safe companions. Toto barked at the cowardly lion in joyous greeting, for he knew the beast of old and loved him, and it was funny to see how gently the lion raised his huge paw to pat Toto's head. The little dog smelled of the tiger's nose, and the tiger politely shook paws with him, so they were quite likely to become firm friends. Tiktok and Bellina knew the beasts well. So merely bade them good day and asked after their healths and inquired about the Princess Ozma. Now it was seen that the cowardly lion and the hungry tiger were drawing behind them a splendid golden chariot to which they were harnessed by golden cords. The body of the chariot was decorated on the outside with designs in clusters of sparkling emeralds, while inside It was lined with a green and gold satin, and the cushions of the seat were of green plush embroidered in gold with a crown underneath which was a monogram. Why, it's Ozma's own royal chariot! exclaimed Dorothy. Yes, said the cowardly lion. Ozma sent us to meet you here, for she feared you would be weary with your long walk, and she wished you to enter the city in a style becoming your exalted rank. What? cried Polly, looking at Dorothy curiously. Do you belong to the nobility? Just in Oz, I do, said the child, cause Ozma made me a princess, you know. But when I'm home in Kansas, I'm only just a country girl, 
and have to help with the churning and wipe the dishes while Aunt Em washes them. Do you have to help wash dishes on the rainbow, Polly? No, dear, answered Polychrome, smiling. Well, I don't have to work any in Oz, either, said Dorothy. It's kind of fun to be a princess once in a while, don't you think so? Dorothy and Polychrome and Button Bright are all to ride in the chariot, said the lion. So get in, my dears, and be careful not to mar the gold, or put your dusty feet on the embroidery. Button Bright was delighted to ride behind such a superb team, and he told Dorothy it made him feel like an actor in a circus. As the strides of the animals brought them nearer to Emerald City, everyone bowed respectfully to the children, as well as to the Tin Woodman, Tick-Tock, and the Shaggy Man, who were following behind. The yellow hen had perched upon the back of the chariot, where she could tell Dorothy more about her wonderful chickens as they rode. And so the grand chariot came finally to the high wall surrounding the city, and paused before the magnificent jewel-studded gates. They were opened by a cheerful-looking little man who wore green spectacles over his eyes. Dorothy introduced him to her friends as the guardian of the gates, and they noticed a big bunch of keys suspended on the golden chain that hung around his neck. The chariot passed through the outer gates into a fine arched chamber built in the thick wall, and through the inner gates into the streets of the Emerald City. Polychrome exclaimed in rapture at the wondrous beauty that met her eyes on every side as they drove through this stately and imposing city, the equal of which has never been discovered even in Fairyland. Button Bright could only say, My! So amazing was the sight, but his eyes were wide open, and he tried to look in every direction at the same time, so as not to miss anything. The shaggy man was fairly astounded at what he saw, for the graceful and handsome buildings were covered with plates of gold, and set with emeralds so splendid and valuable that in any other part of the world any one of them would have been worth a fortune to its owner. The sidewalks were superb marble slabs, polished as smooth as glass, and the curbs that separated the walks from the broad street were also set with clustered emeralds. There were many people on these walks, men, women, and children, all dressed in handsome garments of silk or satin or velvet with beautiful jewels. Better even than this, all seemed happy and contented, for their faces were smiling and free from care, and music and laughter might be heard on every side. "'Don't they work at all?' asked the shaggy man. "'To be sure they work,' replied the tin woodman. "'This fair city could not be built or cared for without labor, nor could the fruit and vegetables and other food be provided for the inhabitants to eat. But no one works more than half his time, and the people of Oz enjoy their labors as much as they do their play.' "'It's wonderful,' declared the shaggy man. I do hope Ozma will let me live here. The chariot, winding through many charming streets, paused before a building so vast and noble and elegant that even Button Bright guessed at once that it was the royal palace. 
Its gardens and ample grounds were surrounded by a separate wall, not so high or thick as the wall around the city, but more daintily designed and built all of green marble. The gates flew open as the chariot approached them, and the cowardly lion and hungry tiger trotted up a jeweled driveway to the front door of the palace and stopped short. Here we are, said Dorothy gaily, and helped Button Bright from the chariot. Polychrome leaped out lightly after them, and they were greeted by a crowd of gorgeously dressed servants who bowed low as the visitors mounted the marble steps. At their head was a pretty little maid with dark hair and eyes, dressed all in green, embroidered with silver. Dorothy ran up to her with evident pleasure and exclaimed, Oh, Jellia Jam, I'm so glad to see you again. Where's Ozma? In her room, Your Highness, replied the little maid demurely, for this was Ozma's favorite attendant. She wishes you to come to her as soon as you have rested and changed your dress, Princess Dorothy. And you and your friends are to dine with her this evening. When is her birthday, Jellia? asked the girl. Day after tomorrow, Your Highness. And where's the scarecrow? He's gone into the Munchkin country to get some fresh straw to stuff himself with, in honor of Ozma's celebration, replied the maid. He returns to the Emerald City tomorrow, he said. By this time, Tick-Tock, the Tin Woodman, and the Shaggy Man had arrived, and the chariot had gone around to the back of the palace, Belina going with the Lion and Tiger to see her chickens after her absence from them. But Toto stayed close beside Dorothy. "'Come in, please,' said Jellia Jam. "'It shall be our pleasant duty to escort all of you to the rooms prepared for your use.' The Shaggy Man hesitated. Dorothy had never known him to be ashamed of his shaggy looks before, but now that he was surrounded by so much magnificence and splendor, the shaggy man felt sadly out of place. Dorothy assured him that all her friends were welcome at Ozma's palace, so he carefully dusted his shaggy shoes with his shaggy handkerchief and entered the grand hall after the others. Tick-Tock lived at the royal palace, and the Tin Woodman always had the same room whenever he visited Ozma, so these two went at once to remove the dust of the journey from their shining bodies. Dorothy also had a pretty suite of rooms which she always occupied when in the Emerald City, but several servants walked ahead politely to show the way, although she was quite sure she could find the rooms herself. She took Button Bright with her, because he seemed too small to be left alone in such a big palace. But Jellia Jam herself ushered the beautiful Daughter of the Rainbow to her apartments, because it was easy to see that Polychrome was used to splendid palaces and was therefore entitled to especial attention. End of chapter 18